0: into our house enter thou not through our fence break through thou not we are protected though we may be frightened our life you may not steal though we may be scared to death Welcome to Scared to Death, Creeps, Peepers, Roberts, and Annabelle's. I'm Dan.
1: Hello, Dan. I'm Lindsay. Hello. Hello.
0: Excited for today's show. Uh, Real quick up top, a couple of our very first designs, the My First Amulet tee and the classic Scared to Death metal logo tee back in stock at badmagicmerch.com.
1: Cool. Cool.
0: And doing another live show. Excited to announce that we are doing another Scared to Death live, Haunted Halloween, True Tales of Hallow's Eve Horror 3. Uh, This year, the show is going to be a few weeks earlier, and you'll see why. It's going to be 6 p.m. Pacific time, October the 13th. So, Friday the 13th in October. Boopy. And then the show will be available to rewatch endlessly through November 1st, noon Pacific time at moment.co. So, you can watch it again on Halloween if you want to. And
1: again, and again.
0: And tickets will go on sale noon Pacific time, Tuesday, September 12th. Make your way to moment.co to get your tickets, or just go to our website for ticketing and merch, badmagicmerch.com, and we will redirect you. And then you were saying it's very close to camp.
1: Yes, you guys. Uh, by the time you hear this episode, of course, per usual, we are on a different timeline than you guys are on. Yeah. But when you hear this, we'll be just around two-ish, a little mm-hmm. bit more weeks until camp. So if you were lucky enough to score tickets, if you had the means to get yourselves there, we are so excited. Yeah, I'm very
0: excited to see you.
1: Yes, and there will be lots of fun things, lots of surprises at camp that we can't wait to share with you. and. Then after camp, I'm sure we'll be talking about it on the show forever.
0: Hopefully we'll be riding a big high. Yeah. This week, stick around for the end of the episode. After today's horror stories, once again, we are back with a mental health segment. Another round of our partnership with BetterHelp. Don't be scared to ask for help, where we will share more insight and advice given to us by a licensed therapist. Just like last time, we are not winging it. We're relaying the advice of licensed therapists' general answers to questions previously submitted by you listeners. Looking forward to it. Okay, so what fan horror do you have for us this first week of, and it is in September now, which is crazy. I know, I know. uh, When this comes out.
1: (laughs) I know, it is so weird just because like because we record in advance. I'm like, wait, it's not September right now, is it? It's close. It is very, very, very close. Pretty soon I'll be counting down weeks till Christmas. Um, My first story is a lifelong haunting and it keeps happening in the same way no matter where this person goes. It's very strange. Something following him. Maybe. Attached, maybe. Maybe. There is a interesting twist at the very end of like, was it? Uh, And then my second story, I'm super excited to share with you. One of our producers, Sophie Evans, had a crazy encounter that she wanted to share with me.
0: And we were just talking. that's cool. I didn't even know that was going to. Okay, cool.
1: Yeah, we were just talking about it. And then I was like, well, could I share this on the show? She was like, yeah, absolutely. So something that happened to her and her longtime partner, Noah. Awesome. I didn't,
0: it's funny because I talked to Sophie about time sex stuff all the time and about, you know, scared of this, but had no idea that was happening.
1: Mostly Sophie and I talk about you.
0: Oh, really? Yeah. No. No,
1: no, not at all. And <laughs> Sophie and Ev- uh and Evan, Sophie, her last name is Evans, Sophie and Noah will be at camp too.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's going to be awesome. It's so fun. Okay. I have my traditional pair of stories. My first involves lore surrounding the old Athens Asylum, once found in Athens, Ohio. <gasps> oh. Yeah. The asylum was, was absorbed by Ohio University, not Ohio State, but Ohio University.
1: Yeah. Not the Ohio State, but Ohio University.
0: Yeah. After it closed down and some wonder if the spirits that allegedly once haunted the asylum now haunt the campus. Aye, aye, aye. I'll end this one with an alleged modern encounter involving a student seeming to bring some sort of terror from the old asylum into her dorm room.
1: Okay, okay.
0: My second shorter story is set in Barbados. Barbados! (laughs) And we'll explore the mystery of the old Chase Vault. Do
1: you guys know how much I love Barbados? Anybody (laughs) know that? It's one of my favorite places.
0: Uh, Did a bunch of coffins move around on their own, not once, but several times in the early 19th century here, and is this not the only case of this alleged phenomenon? Oh my gosh! So I'm having like awesome like you're off in Barbados memories.
1: I am, I am <laughs> just like partying in the streets, like all these street awesome. vendors walking around. Yeah, it's so cool. Uh,
0: <laughs> you want to showcase your spoopy socks? I do. For the YouTubers
1: check out these psychedelic shrooms.
0: <laughs> nice, and then uh, also a good
1: manicure. You guys, look at that! Look at that! <laughs> I did that myself.
0: Uh, okay, going to dive in here. Quite a bit of historical setup before getting into the spoops on this first one. Okay. Very interesting stuff, I think. Yeah, yeah. Athens is really cool. Yeah, i never been. I don't think. Uh, the Athens Asylum, located in Athens, Ohio, was founded as a state hospital for people with mental illness, intended to be the gold standard of psychiatric care, following the classic Kirkbride plan for both moral treatment and architectural design. Uh, Dr. Thomas Story Kirkbride was a 19th century psychiatrist and advocate for people suffering from mental illness, and what became known as his Kirkbride plan was a specific design for asylums that emphasized exposing patients to nature, a lot of fresh air, which was a novel idea at the time. According to a history page from Ohio University, the asylum staff promoted the use of daily routines, art, nature, well-ventilated environments, outdoor exercise, useful occupation, And personal attention from physicians, which all sounds lovely. Uh, Not that it was necessarily lovely in practice, but uh, construction of the asylum began in 1867. The asylum opened its doors in 1874 with the official and now pretty cringy title of the Athens Lunatic Asylum.
1: Oh, nice.
0: It went through several name changes afterwards, uh, some even more inappropriate by today's vernacular standards, ending with the name Athens Mental Health Center. The asylum sat on a thousand beautiful acres, housing not just the grounds of the hospital, but also a cemetery and farmland. Over its years of use, the asylum provided services to many, from Civil War veterans to children to adults of all ages suffering from mental illness. Although the asylum seemed like a place of hope and healing, many people were admitted who did not need to be institutionalized, as was the case in the 19th century, just all over. Patients were enrolled at the hospital for things like epilepsy, alcoholism, tuberculosis, and also for nothing. They were sent away by family members who just didn't want them or who wanted to take something from them and were unable to do so unless they sent them away. The three leading causes of insanity for female patients-
1: mm-hmm, Here we go.
0: Were uh, pure- per- This is a really tough word. pure pearl condition. pure parole condition. Basically, postpartum depression. Oh, damn. It's a term that's not really used much anymore. Uh, or the vague diagnosis of change of life. And so also-
1: is that like- a- This could be anything. Oh, oh, oh.
0: Maybe menopause, maybe yeah, that's de- b- I was thinking. But also, just I mean, they had these like very like vague. No, they
1: hate women. I understand.
0: And then men- menstrual derangements, uh, is, in which I guess they felt like a woman's periods made her so moody, she just needed to be uh, institutionalized. Uh, the leading cause. Sometimes of- Sometimes it feels that way. Eh? The leading leading cause of insanity among male patients was masturbation. Mm-hmm. In the twentieth century, in order to cure all these ailments, doctors at the asylum practiced lobotomies, hydrotherapy, electroshock therapy and treated patients with early uh, experimental versions of psychiatric drugs. Many health care, thankfully, uh, or mental health care, thankfully, really began to modernize in the 1950s after research began to show that people with mental illness were generally not dangerous to their communities and that a cure often didn't need to involve being locked away. Uh, new drugs and new various forms of therapy began to allow patients to receive treatment without being institutionalized. Starting in 1980, there was a big cultural push for deinstitutionalization and many state hospitals began to close down. By 1985, there were just 200 patients left at the Athens Mental Health Center. In 1988, the state transferred the property to the nearby Ohio University, and it was renamed The Ridges, this big multi-use development area. The last patients were transferred to another facility in 1993. The property then sat vacant for several years before restoration began. Ohio University ended up demolishing the old tuberculosis ward instead of renovating it, because they couldn't keep curious students out of uh, this building who would go exploring, and they were worried that someone would get hurt. In 2000, a TV crew filmed the asylum and the neglected cemetery, calling it one of the world's scariest places. Also around that time, the local chapter of the National Alliance on Mental Illness decided to clean up the cemeteries, fix tombstones, and try to demystify the image of a psychiatric hospital as the final resting place for its former patients. Uh, That was difficult, because the Ridges is so close to a college campus full of, you know, curious students. Today, the Ridges, part of Ohio University, and uh, house the Kennedy Museum of Art, an auditorium, offices, classrooms, and storage facilities. Because of its connections to the old asylum, Ohio University, at least this section of it, now thought to be one of the most haunted places in the state. Before the doors closed over the asylum's many operational years, the asylum saw a lot of death. 1,930 people were buried across what ended up being three cemeteries, Seven hundred women, nine hundred um, and fifty-nine men, and that number doesn't add up to nineteen to thirty. So there must have been uh, some extra unknowns. And <laughs> and with that, that's just what the source said. And with that death uh, came reports of ghosts.
1: I just like how you immediately were doing quick math. You're like, uh oh. <laughs>
0: yeah, I mean that's what that's what the source said. But uh, clearly, <laughs> yeah. clearly uh, they uh, had some unknowns or something going on. Two
1: plus two is five. Got it.
0: <laughs> the most infamous of the spirits allegedly haunting the ridges is said to be the ghost of a former patient. December 1st, 1978, a patient named Margaret Schilling disappeared. Over six weeks later, January 12th, 1979, her dead body was found by a maintenance worker locked inside a room in an abandoned ward that was formerly used for patients with infectious illnesses. Some sources say that Margaret died of heart failure, but if that's true, why was she locked in the room and why was she found naked with her clothing folded next to her body? Supposedly, due to how long she lay decomposing before her body was found, a permanent stain was left on the floor. Over the past four-plus decades, an entity believed to be the spirit of Margaret Schilling has reportedly been seen staring out of the window of the room where she was found or wandering through various parts of the building. Margaret's ghost, thought to be one of many spirits, haunting the ridges. Apparitions of other unknown patients have also been witnessed in various former repurposed wings of the old asylum. Others have heard voices the sound of gurneys rolling across the floor, and even disembodied screams. The cemetery also said to be haunted by the spirits of former patients, and a bit random, but one local legend claims that witches gather in the cemetery at the spot where the headstones form a circle, drawn to the area's paranormal energy to perform occult rituals. Seems like this haunting extends to some of the residence halls across Hawking River from the ridges, specifically Wilson Hall, a dorm built in the 60s. Room 428 of Wilson Hall apparently is currently sealed off the only room blocked from students entering it. Why? According to some sources, the room houses the building's boiler. According to others, the room is sealed off due to continual paranormal activity that has been deemed dangerous. What happened in that room if the problem really is paranormal? The answer varies depending on the source. One story claims that a man died in the room in the 70s. His spirit now haunts the the room. Another claims that a woman was found practicing dark magic in the room, that she opened some kind of door. No one's been able to figure out how to close. Yet another campus urban legend claims that a girl went to the Ridges, encountered an evil spirit, brought it into room 428, and then ended her life inside the room. Whatever the truth might be, over the years, students living in Wilson Hall have reported numerous strange, seemingly paranormal experiences, such as drawers and closets opening on their own, appliances turning on and off without any human interference. Others have claimed to see shadowy figures in the building. The following alleged story comes from someone who says that they are a former student Of Ohio University, Uh, she says that after her roommate went out to explore the ridges one night, she seems to have brought something evil back with her into Wilson Hall. Time now for the tale of we're not going anywhere. I knew my freshman year was going to be a difficult transition. I was leaving my family, my hometown, and all of my close friends. Only a few people that I somewhat knew from high school were also going to Ohio University. My closest friends were either going to Ohio State or to an out-of-state college. Neither was an option for me due to financial aid and scholarships. I spent the entire summer trying not to mope about my situation. I was still going to a good school. I told myself it would be a fresh start, an opportunity to present myself to others as the person I always wanted to be, to make new friends and have new experiences. I was assigned to live in Wilson Hall, one of the older buildings. I met my roommate, we'll call her Nicole, on move-in day. Right away, I thought she seemed like a really nice girl. She was friendly, chatty, and like me. She didn't know how uh, she didn't know many people on campus. When I walked my parents to their car, my mom gave me an encouraging talk about how I should stick close to Nicole and that she and I could potentially become great friends. That first night with Nicole was great. We stayed up way too late talking and getting to know each other. Overall, the entire first two months of school were great. I joined some clubs on campus, started to meet new people, eventually forming my own little friend group. Nicole and I still hung out pretty often and went to some parties together, but she soon made her own separate friends on campus. I didn't know them that well, but I heard plenty of stories from Nicole. They seemed like an interesting bunch, always getting in some kind of trouble and having countless near misses with the campus police. Despite spending more and more time apart, Nicole and I still got along really well and enjoyed our time together. Things changed after fall break, though, in a way I could have never expected. I had no way of predicting what was coming for me. Before the break, I went home for the long weekend to visit my family and all my friends. Nicole told me she was staying on campus. She said it was too far of a drive and that her old friends wouldn't be home anyway. Thanks to a professor canceling the one class I had on Tuesday, I returned to the dorm on a Wednesday afternoon. I didn't notice anything was wrong at first. Nicole and I talked about what we did over fall break. My speech was the usual. Visited family, caught up with friends, went to a couple hometown parties. Nicole told me that she and some friends who also stayed on campus went exploring the ridges what used to be the old Athens asylum. This wasn't too unusual. I'd heard about plenty of people doing that before. It was what she said next that threw me off guard. Her eyes lit up with excitement as she told me a story about how one of the patients died on the property, but they didn't find her for a long time. Apparently there was a stain on the floor from where her body decomposed. My disgust was visible, but she continued with her story. I think we actually saw the stain, Shannon. It was so creepy and gross. Then we got out a Ouija board and used it in that room. Ouija board? I laughed. Those are fake, you know. You can literally buy them at a toy store. Nicole's face turned serious. After pausing, seeming to think over what she should say next, she told me, that's what I thought too. But then the planchette actually started moving by itself. Are you sure it wasn't one of your friends messing with you? Everyone swore they weren't moving it. I believed them because we were all terrified. I think we were actually communicating with something. I wasn't interested in Ouija boards in the slightest, but she seemed so excited that I decided to humor her. What did it say? I could tell she was dying to share more with me. Well, she said, nothing happened for a long time, but we kept trying different questions. The first question that got a response was when we asked if someone was in the room with us. The planchette went to yes. We tried to ask the spirit's name, nothing happened. Anytime we tried to ask a personal question, name, age, where they came from, things like that, it didn't give us a response. When we asked more general questions, like if they were dead, if they used to live at the hospital, the planchette moved to yes every time. Did you actually see anything? Nicole hesitated. No, but I felt something. When we were sitting in the circle, I felt a cold chill. And I, and I know it wasn't the wind leaking in from outside. It felt... She thought about it for a moment, moment. Almost like a cold finger running down my spine. I almost screamed. Everyone noticed my reaction, and I asked if they felt something too. But it was only me. It, it felt like the spirit chose me. That's when we left. I swore I felt eyes watching me. I thought this whole story was nothing more than strange nonsense. But still, I could tell it was a big deal for Nicole, and I wanted to be polite. So I kept going along with it. What do you feel now? I feel fine now, but I had a little trouble sleeping last night. I couldn't stop thinking about that stain on the floor, and then that made me think of, well, you know, she shrugged. I quickly changed the subject, also not wanting to dwell on decomposing bodies. The rest of the day passed without incident. Nicole didn't bring up her weekend adventure again, and our conversation centered around normal topics like our classes and plans for the rest of the semester. We said goodnight to each other around 12.30 a.m. That was our agreed-upon lights-out time on school nights. I turned my back to Nicole, closed my eyes. We used a fan at night to drown out the sounds of each other's breathing, so I had no idea if or when she fell asleep. Next thing I knew, I jolted awake, sitting up straight and slapping my hand on my nightstand to snooze my alarm clock, but after a moment I realized it was silent. The time on the clock read 2.37 a.m. Why was I awake? When I looked over, I saw the dark silhouette of Nicole by the door. She was standing, with her back turned to me, not moving. I rubbed my eyes, which were heavy with sleep. When I looked again, Nicole was still there. Did she need to get a drink of water? Did she have to go to the bathroom? All of these questions ran through my mind as I watched her. She didn't move for a long time, at least two or three minutes. I kept as still as possible as I watched her, even holding my breath, She was being weird, and for some reason it made me nervous. She had never sleepwalked before. Nicole was a deep sleeper. On a few occasions, I had to wake her up so she could get to her first class on time. Even though I was still on edge, I quietly called out her name so I wouldn't startle her. Nicole? Nicole. No response. I sighed and hopped down from the bed, walking over and tapping her shoulder. Nicole's body jerked away from mine. So violently, I jumped and let out a shout. That seemed to wake her up. Up close, I could see her face better. I watched as she appeared to recognize me. And she too jumped when she realized how close I was standing to her. Oh my God, Shannon. You scared the shit out of me. What are you doing? What am I doing? What are you doing? I woke up and you were just standing in front of the door. I I was? Yeah. She said nothing. Do you feel all right? I can go get you some water or something if you need me to. No, no, I- I- I'm okay. Sorry, I-, I didn't mean to scare you. We both went back to bed, but I didn't sleep much the rest of the night. I stayed awake, tension filling my body as I listened to every sound Nicole made, worrying she would start sleepwalking again. I was exhausted the next day and eager to get some sleep. I would quickly realize that wasn't going to happen anytime soon. Nicole and I went to bed around the same time the next night. It took me forever to fall asleep because I was still nervous about waking up to another strained sleepwalking incident. My sleep was interrupted after what felt like only a few minutes. This time, when I opened my eyes, I saw Nicole standing at the end of my bed. I was so scared that I completely froze up. My mind screamed at me to pull the covers over my head and hide like a little kid. I was an only child and not used to sharing a room. I didn't know how to deal with sleepwalkers. I'd heard before that you weren't supposed to wake them up during an episode, but I couldn't deal with Nicole staring at me any longer. Nicole, I whispered. I said her name again louder, my voice shaking. I was afraid, but also tired and angry that another night of sleep had been interrupted. I gathered my courage and reached over to turn on the lamp. I felt relieved when the room flooded with light, but that relief didn't last long. Nicole was still staring at me with a blank look in her eyes. I could tell she wasn't conscious. Why had I suddenly become the target of her sleepwalking fixation? Feeling emboldened by some anger and adrenaline, I moved my face close to hers. She had no reaction. I sighed, sat back so I wouldn't scare her, and shook her arm, probably a little rougher than I needed to. Just like the night before, Nicole came to in a fright. She claimed she didn't even remember falling asleep and apologized profusely for scaring me. I knew she couldn't help it, but that didn't mean I was happy about having my sleep interrupted for the second night in a row. The next night, Friday night, I was alone in the dorm room. Nicole said she was going out with friends. I stayed in, excited at the prospect of catching up on some much needed rest. I didn't hear Nicole come into the room, but I woke up to find her standing over me at my bedside. After recovering from the almost heart attack she gave me, I went through the same routine, calling her name and turning on the light. Nicole, wake up. I could hear the irritation in my voice. I watched her eyes shift from a blank stare to awareness. She looked right at me and it instantly made my blood run cold. I had never seen her look at me or anyone else like that before. She looked evil, like she wanted to kill me. Nicole, I asked the fear obvious in my voice. Her eyes changed again as if she were actually waking up this time. She shook her head, apologized profusely, and laid down to have a peaceful sleep, while I lay awake for hours. The next night, I decided things were going to be different. Nicole uh, decided she wasn't going out that night, odd for a Saturday. It wasn't normal for me to stay in on the weekends either, but the thought of partying when I was this exhausted was not appealing. I waited for Nicole to fall asleep. I didn't want to make her feel bad, so I planned to sneak out once I could tell she was in a deep sleep. I didn't have any kind of long-term solution in place, but I was so desperate for sleep, I planned to go lay down on a study room couch and try to get at least a few hours of good rest, which was more than i would been getting the past few nights. But as soon as I touched the door handle to leave, I heard shuffling behind me. The energy of the room changed, a palpable tension filling the air. I felt like I'd been caught doing something wrong. Where are you going? I heard Nicole's voice behind me on the other side of the room, like she was still in bed. I... I- I'm going to the bathroom. I lied. I didn't know why I was afraid to say what, that I was leaving. My instincts were telling me that something was off about this whole interaction. The voice behind me didn't sound like Nicole's. You should go back to bed. Her voice sounded closer now, but I hadn't heard her move. I whipped around and screamed to find Nicole standing right behind me. She just scared the daylights out of me. My response was anger, likely fueled by sleep deprivation. I dropped my pillow and blanket and grabbed her arms, shaking her aggressively. Wake up, Nicole! It was too dark to see her face, but I knew she was looking at me with those same eyes from last night. In a voice that sounded like Nicole, but was still just a little off, she said, we're not going anywhere. I dropped my hands from her arms and she turned around and crawled back into bed without another word. I did too, shaking with fear as I pulled the covers over my head and turned around praying sunrise would come soon. I didn't bring up what happened in the morning. I just wanted to forget about it, to try to convince myself it wasn't real or that I remembered it incorrectly. The dark circles under my eyes were becoming extreme. I knew it wouldn't be much longer before I completely shut down from lack of sleep. I had already fallen asleep in class a couple times, and I'd been avoiding driving because I'd be a danger on the road. I probably hadn't gotten more than three hours at a time the past week, plus a few quick naps I was able to sneak in when Nicole was out of the room. This night, I was awoken by the feeling of hands squeezing my throat. My body jerked away from Nicole, but there was nowhere to go. She was pinning me down against the mattress, putting all her weight into the hold on my neck. My hands reached up and pulled at hers, but her grip was strong. I was quickly realizing I couldn't get any air in, and that made me freak out. While I had frozen up earlier, this time, my instinct was to fight. Adrenaline gave me the strength to push myself up. I didn't care how rough I was being. I went for Nicole's face, trying to scratch and grab anything I could get to get her hands off me. And it worked. Her hands left my neck to protect herself. I shoved her away from me hard as I could, and I jumped off the bed. But my foot got caught in the blankets, and I went crashing to the floor. Nicole didn't waste any time grabbing my ankle to stop me She pinned me down again, getting into my face and whispering viciously Where are you going? Get off me! I screamed, help! She slapped a hand down over my mouth and nose We're not going anywhere With one hand free, I reached for her face again This time going for her eyes She screamed when I scratched her face And let up just enough that I once again shoved her off of me And ran the short distance to the door I heard Nicole shout, no! As I threw the door open and ran down the hallway Help! I screamed, help me! My screaming woke up a few of our hallmates and of course the RA who was clearly annoyed but escorted me back to the room to speak to Nicole. Nicole, who was now fully awake and aware, was in a state of shock. She seemed truly shaken up by the scratches on her face and the fact that I'd attacked her, clearly not understanding that she had tried to kill me in her sleep. The RA didn't call campus police, but she called her supervisor and had them come to our dorm. I watched in shock and anger as Nicole tearfully told them that she had been sleepwalking all week and that I attacked her because I was angry that she kept waking me up. She tried to make it seem like I was the one who snapped. I told them what really happened, and thankfully, I had a few finger shaped bruises on my neck to prove it. The housing staff seemed skeptical of both our stories, and I knew why. On the one hand, a person can't control what they do in their sleep, but on the other, I was clearly defending myself. They asked Nicole if she wanted to press charges, and she said no. I was furious. They brought that up. I was moved into a different residence hall, and Nicole stayed in our room. Nicole and I had a few more meetings with various campus staff members and administrators to clear up the incident. No one filed any charges. I was worried I would be expelled for literally trying to save my own life, but that was never brought up. Thankfully, the whole thing was kept pretty discreet. I know some people on our hall talked about it, but they didn't have any of the details. Just, Nicole, just that Nicole had tried to hurt me in her sleep. They didn't know about the full week of sleepwalking that led up to it. They didn't know about the deadly look in her eyes, about the voice that most definitely was not Nicole's. Nicole and I didn't talk again. My parents were outraged when they found out what happened and that I almost got in legal trouble over it. We decided that I was going to be transferring after the semester. During my final weeks on campus, I thought about everything that had happened before the sleepwalking started. Nicole told me about using the Ouija board, feeling a presence watching her. That had to have something to do with the sudden onset of sleepwalking, didn't it? I tried to research the history of the old asylum, but I couldn't find much information about the woman who died there, the one Nicole thought might have been in contact with them. I wondered, could what I experienced really be the spirit of an innocent woman who died under unfortunate circumstances? I decided no. It had to be someone else, something else that was lurking in that building. And I didn't want to know what that was.
1: Well, that's not much of a resolve.
0: Yeah. We don't know what happened to the, her roommate.
1: You know, that doesn't fill me with joy when you don't finish.
0: Well, not, all, not all these stories have finishes. You know Dang that. It.
1: I know, but it's been a while. So I forgot how much <laughs> I hated it. I was just thinking about Kyler. We're getting ready to take him to school. I'm like, oh dear. Yeah. It's like an old campus too.
0: Hmm. Old
1: mm-hmm. part of the country. True. Yep.
0: Uh, So proud of Bubba. Excited excited for him. Don't
1: talk about it. I don't want to sit here and cry.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I have some pictures. I have some pictures. Uh, Here's an old photo of the Athens Asylum in its heyday. It is a beautiful, a lot of these Kirkbride asylums, beautiful buildings. Yeah, beautiful. Uh, This next one, uh, not creepy at all hallway from the asylum after it was closed down, but before most of it was repurposed.
1: No, not creepy at all. I mean, during the day, fine. You go in there at night and you're going to lose your mind.
0: Still gets me during the day. These long hallways are just inherently creepy just because I've talked about before, I think a few weeks ago, not knowing what could be behind any of those little entrances.
1: It's the peeling paint for some reason. Uh Uh-huh. That doesn't help.
0: That doesn't help. Ugh.
1: This doesn't bother me daytime.
0: Okay. Uh, But, But
1: nighttime, I'd be crying. Oh, yeah. Like, literally crying.
0: This next one, a creepy photo of one of the patient rooms in the asylum
1: I mean, I mean, like, you can imagine when it first opened that, you know.
0: It looked a lot nicer. Yeah. Uh, like
1: the windows, like, it would be nice.
0: Here's here's an exterior photo of the main building, again, of the old asylum, but now converted into an art center for Ohio University. I mean, they really, you know, That's restored it well. Beautiful,
1: beautiful, beautiful, beautiful.
0: And, and this next picture is a converted asylum hallway in the art center. Uh, pretty awesome what they did with it. So this, this doesn't look creepy at all.
1: Oh yeah,
0: yeah, that's cool inside. Like I like I like that mix of like the older exterior yeah. and modern interior.
1: Yeah, yeah, they did a good job, and, that, and that's a art gallery.
0: Uh huh. Cool. Yeah, art museum, art gallery. Yeah, I think they have classes in there too. And then finally, nothing spooky about it uh, how it looks, but this is Wilson Hall where this uh, story was set today. Nope, just
1: looks like an old dorm. Just
0: another old dorm. Yep, Oops. looks like uh, thousands of others. Uh
1: huh. Uh huh. God, what if Kyler calls us and is like, hey. Mr. Skeptic. I know, I know. Okay, there's a part, as long as he doesn't get hurt, yeah. there's a part of me that is kind of like, I wish something like this would happen <laughs> to him because he's such an ass about this Without stuff. the choking. That's why I said, as long oh, yeah, as he doesn't yeah, yeah, get yeah, hurt. Exactly. yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: exactly. Yeah. Listen to my
1: words. Uh, yeah, the whole thing about like being institutionalized for these ridiculous things is just so hard to wrap my head around. But, but asterisk like when I was younger, you know, I, I mean, I've talked about this before on the show. This is not like breaking news, but I had a suicide attempt and their solution then, like, so I was severely depressed, really, really, really deep in my eating disorder, like Mm -hmm. in a very un, like not good place and then had just gone through a bad breakup. So it's like, as a teenager, these are like compounded issues. Sure. And their solution was like, oh, well, we'll just send her here. And my mom was like, you will absolutely not. And it's just, I'm like, how could you think that, like, an eating disorder is the, – the answer yeah. is to just ship her off. And and that's what they did. And this – we're talking, like, the 2000s.
0: I mean, I mean, I can see how, like, where they have supervision, where they're worried about, like, self-harm. And, and if they're able yes. to supervise, that can be a solution, you know. But like,
1: I, I was on a 24, 48-hour hold at the hospital yeah, anyways. Yeah, 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 yeah.
0: But, I mean, I think that's where they're coming from with some of that. And, you know, what's interesting – I mean – But they just want to
1: medic – like, this place
0: – I do yeah. won't
1: name it, but it's like, it was notorious for people going in, never coming out and just being heavily medicated.
0: Well, sadly- It was very
1: like girl interrupted.
0: Yeah. S- sadly, I mean, I do think, I mean, hopefully not many places like that are around currently. There's more watchdog organizations and more people who will, you know, report on them. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it's it's, it's that it's a money-making thing. It's, it, it is oh. sad when you get a private institution.
1: Yeah, it's like the private prison system.
0: Right, right, exactly. Oh. And so it's, it's, in, uh, it's a conflict of interest. It's yeah. like they're supposed yeah. to cure you, uh, you know, uh, morally and get you out. But then business-wise, if they don't have people to replace you, it makes more sense financially to keep you in. Yep. Uh, and then these old places like this, I don't think this was about money as much. A lot of these asylums, because, you know, people wouldn't necessarily pay to have somebody there— it was just a lack of awareness of mental health issues. They just knew so much less. Sure. And it, these asylums just became these big catch all institutions for, like, we don't know we don't what know to what do to with do.
1: you. Yeah, like our, throw yeah. our hands up in the air. But then also, you said, like, when people wanted to take things from well, other people, people so could take that advantage is, of
0: that system. Right. So that's like, did.
1: that's a financial motivation.
0: Right. Exterior for, like, yes. yeah, exactly. Yeah, not of exactly. the institution,
1: but others. But I would I would bet my life that in time, mm-hmm. there were like, People who worked there, who knew so and so, who had a lot of wealth, and then would corroborate with us, uh, oh, collaborate yeah. with, yeah. Uh, you know, the the brother of the person with uh-huh. the money, and just you know these the
0: like bribe situation. Totally. And after, oh, I'm sure when it went.
1: Totally. Happened. Totally. No, I mean, like, I'm so grateful where the journey of mental health as a as a a business, as a system, as mm-hmm. doctors, like it's amazing where we've come. Yep. My like mind blowing moment is like, yeah, but just like 20 years ago. They were still,
0: yeah, it's like,
1: are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> yeah, yeah. oh, yeah. Uh, and then my other my other note was um, at the beginning, when you were retelling some of the stories of yeah. the people from uh, the asylum. The, I think I think it was the Margaret Schilling that she had these like perfectly folded clothes.
0: Mm-hmm, next to her dead body.
1: Yeah. I am working on my summer camp live scared to death stories. Ooh. And it has a weird detail about some like similar to that. And I was like, "Ooh, why? That is so creepy. Mm-hmm. So creepy. Just a small detail that really just sends you over the edge.
0: I know. I know. I go back and forth between paranormal and true crime in my head with like what that detail could represent. Well, and, on the, and on the true crime side, you know, it's like- That's not good. No, stuff like that has happened, you know, many times. Yeah. And it usually is some kind of guilt by the usually sexually motivated killer yeah. who like does what they do and then feels some sense of remorse. And it's like almost like that's their little like- uh, Sorry about that. Yeah. Apology. It's like, yeah. well, at least I could like, you know, have the body look uh-huh. nice or something. Yeah. wow. Fold the, fold the clothes.
1: Ugh. That's a great story.
0: Okay, I bet, I bet, I bet
1: so many college campuses have to be haunted mm-hmm. or and, and have had so many lives.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know,
1: like the 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 facility itself has like, you know, had a lot of different iterations. hmm Yeah.
0: Uh I wanted to say active atonement. It was stuck in my head. I'm like, ah, I, I know it. I was
1: like, what's going on there? Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. I'm like, that little thing would be an active atonement.
1: But I love when yeah. I can see your little brain going. <laughs> uh
0: I see it was Monroe too, actually her eyes point up in the same spot when she's thinking about something, Like like I do, it's like a weird tick or something where it's like you get in thought and your eyes go up. Yeah. I see her do that all the time.
1: Yeah, Kyler's a much faster, not an emotional, not a quick emotional processor, but a quick factual processor. Yeah. And so he doesn't have that, mm-hmm. but she is so thoughtful and meticulous with her words and what she intends to say. But mm-hmm. if you don't give her the space yeah. to have that moment of like, what is it? She gets lost. She gets, you know, Run over in conversation.
0: Yeah. Are you ready to go to your beloved Barbados now for a little mystery?
1: Barbados.
0: (laughs) Before we look into a strange game of musical tombs, first a mid show sponsor break.
1: This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What are the things that weigh you down on a day to day basis? What kind of stress are you holding on to? Do you spend much of your day going over things in your brain over and over until they are so distracting it affects your mental health? Well, don't worry you're not alone.
0: We all carry different stressors, some big, some small. When we keep things bottled up, the results can be negative. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest without fear or judgment. It's a place to work through what is heavy on your mind and heart so that you can feel lighter and happier.
1: I'm always holding on to something. It's the way my anxious brain works. I'm continually worried that I've done something wrong, that I've hurt the feelings of someone I love, and that I have let someone down. I'm stressed that I'm not being a good enough mom or wife. I panic that our life will implode at any given moment and it'll all be my fault. Thankfully, I have an amazing therapist who helps me talk through each of these scenarios. After each and every appointment, I feel lighter, happier, and more capable of showing up as my most authentic self.
0: Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash scared to death today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, hel scared to death.
1: Summer is just around the corner. Who's excited? I know I am. With the warmer, sunnier days calling your name, the last place you're going to want to be is in your kitchen, cooking, and meal prepping. Make your life easier with Factors No Prep, No Mess Meals.
0: Factors Never Frozen, Always Fresh Meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. Think of all the extra time. You will get outside in the summer sun when you aren't wasting hours in the kitchen.
1: I'm obsessed with the honey yogurt pancakes for breakfast, the pork El Pastor for lunch, and the cilantro lime barramundi for dinner. So easy and saves me so much time.
0: Head to factormeals.com slash death 50 and use code scaredtodeath50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code SCAREDtodeath50 at factormeals.com slash death 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. If a friend asks how you're doing and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is,
1: I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in
0: there. Because if I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak then this is your sign to call text or chat 988 for free confidential support. Anytime you don't have to hide how you feel. Thanks for listening to those sponsored deals, creeps and peepers. The second story, uh, not the scariest, but it is wild, cool, and interesting. And we're just going to jump in time now for the tale of the chase vault mystery. It is not generally known that in Barbados there is a mysterious vault in which no one now dares to deposit the dead. That's a quote from the book Transatlantic Sketches, published in 1833, written by James Edward Alexander. The Chase Vault is a burial vault in the cemetery of the Christ Church Parish in Christchurch, Barbados. Chase Vault is famous for the mystery of its allegedly moving coffins. Over a century ago, each time the old sealed marble vault was opened for new burials, actually this would be over two centuries ago, Uh, in 1812, 1816, and 1819, all of the heavy lead coffins previously laid to rest inside it had somehow moved. The original Christchurch parish was constructed in 1629, right off the shore of Barbados. Erosion destroyed it just 40 years later. A new church was constructed further inland in 1780 next to the old cemetery, and the cemetery housed the Chase Vault. Uh, Researchers believe the vault was built in 1724 for James Elliott, but Elliott was never buried there. The vault is nothing more than a small stone room with an arched roof, about 12 feet deep, 6 feet wide, with a small, narrow, descending staircase serving as the only entrance. And I guess only exit. Uh, The Book of Christchurch contains all the original records of burials in the cemetery, and according to these records, a woman named Mrs. Thomasina Goddard was buried in the vault in 1807. A wealthy landowner by the name of Colonel Thomas Chase purchased the vault shortly after Mrs. Goddard had passed away and did not have her remains uh, removed. Uh, The following year, in 1808, Colonel Chase's uh, two-year-old daughter, Anna Maria Chase, was buried in the vault. Nothing unusual witnessed at that time. In 1812, Colonel Chase's older daughter, Dorcas Chase, was buried in the vault after she died of, and you don't hear about this cause of death very often, thankfully, self-inflicted starvation. Oof. When the burial team opened the vault to inter her, a coffin was found standing against the wall. The men were shocked, couldn't figure out how someone could have broken into the seemingly secure locked vault and move a coffin. They ended up arranging the existing coffins in a neat row of three before resealing the vault. Just a month later, Thomas Chase now ended his own life. When the vault was opened for the burial of the family patriarch on August 9th, 1812, eight men found the Chase girls' caskets in a confused state. Dorcas Chase's casket was found turned upside down against the wall. One historic account states, In the end of 1812, the vault was opened for the body of the Honorable T. Chase. But the three first coffins were found in a confused state, having been apparently tossed from their places. Again was the vault opened to receive the body of an infant, and the four coffins, all of lead and very heavy, were much disturbed. Each time that the vault was opened and the coffins were replaced in their proper situations, that is, three on the ground side by side, and the others laid on them. Similar disturbances were found when the vault was opened in 1819. Every time the vault was opened for a new burial, the coffins had been moved. No evidence of tampering was ever found. Regarding that 1816 burial, the vault was opened that year for the burial of infant Samuel Samuel Brewster Ames. The coffins already in the vault, which had been neatly lined up in 1812, were now scattered all around. Thomas Chase's coffin leaning head down against the wall. The men put the coffins back in the proper places yet again and again sealed the vault. The vault. Two months later, the adult, Samuel Brewster, was laid to rest. Yet again, coffins found in disarray. Thomasina Clark was buried in 1819, another Thomasina, and the last person ever buried in the vault. When men removed the marble slab they found, coffins were found thrown confusedly about the vault, some with the heads down and others up. Officials now thoroughly inspected the vault and found no secret passages. They made a plan to tear open the vault to check for a disturbance. After a few months, they smoothed sand across the floor. Uh, and cemented the marble slab in place. Government officials supposedly pressed their seals into the cement. A crowd of witnesses then watched as the vault was unsealed. The sand inside was found to still be completely smooth, just as they had left it. But the coffins were scattered and tumbled atop one another. Investigators were stumped. They didn't know how anyone could get into the vault. It took six to seven men just to move the marble slab, and masons had cemented the door shut. Again, that sand undisturbed, as if the coffins had been moved by some force that never touched the floor. The governor now ordered that the coffins be removed and buried separately. No one else was ever interred there, and the vault remains empty to this day. While some modern investigators find stories of the vault to be historically dubious, others absolutely believe them to be absolutely true. Some have proposed that natural events like earthquakes are responsible for the chaos inside the vault. But there were no large earthquakes recorded in Barbados between 1812 and 1820. Others have proposed that water flooded into the vault and caused the coffins to float, moving them about before receding and leaving them in new locations and positions. But the vault is located on a hill at about 100 feet above sea level, which makes it much less likely to be flooded. Uh, It is underground, but the coffins are very heavy lead coffins. Not exactly very buoyant. Finally, James Edward Alexander, a 19th century Scottish traveler, soldier in the British Army, and the author I quoted at the beginning of this tale, when he heard about the vault, he wrote about how this was not the only time that this phenomenon has been witnessed. He described another similar mystery in Staunton, England. A burial team there opened a vault and discovered that several lead coffins inside wooden cases had been displaced. They put the coffins back in order, closed the vault. Then when they opened it up for another burial, the coffins again displaced. Finally, two years later, all the coffins were found displaced once more, standing on the fourth step leading to the vault. Even though one coffin was so heavy, it required eight men to lift it and return it to its original place. Alexander ended his account by writing a statement that remains as true today as it was over a century ago. As yet, no one has satisfactorily accounted for the Barbadian or Staunton wonder.
1: Weird. Maybe they're just trying to get closer to each other. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah I don't know who knows
1: yeah I was thinking so many like uh, I thought about the earthquake as well uh huh but that doesn't I, I mean it would have to be such a massive yeah. earthquake to move lead caskets
0: and move one on top of one another it just doesn't make any physics sense
1: no no and then like the flood okay even if they mm-hmm. were buoyant enough for the flood to be a possibility yeah the sand would never have settled right. back in the same place I don't, it, that's bizarro
0: I know I, I for me, it's either like the historical accounts are bullshit, they're lies, or it's paranormal. Because like natural events, if this, you know, it happened as it, it said in these accounts uh, did happen, I just don't think like flooding or earthquakes can account for this phenomenon.
1: No, no. And I even, ha- I was like, okay, maybe there was like a team of people and they're just like kind of keeping this folklore going. Yeah. But then when you just talk about the, the sheer magnitude of what it would take to do it, yeah, there's no way.
0: Uh, I have a few pictures uh, this first one, just a picture of Christ Church Parish. This thing was built like a castle. It's beautiful. Yeah, it is. And then this next one, uh, a picture of Chase Vault in the church cemetery. Wow. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's just like that. It's interesting that That's, a vault going down. Let's get a vault. I know, it looks cool. And then one more pic showing uh, an old gate that would keep people out, uh, you know, many, many years ago when it was being used. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Huh.
1: Huh. And there you go. Can I tell you my Barbados story? Sure. Okay. I've, I've, uh, so, uh, when I was touring with Rihanna, yeah. that she, is, she is Barbadian. Yeah. So, that was like they, they just intentionally like, you know, routed shows down there. Obviously, like hometown show or whatever. But it was awesome. It was incredible. And they were like, she was so insistent that the entire crew come and stay and like see her people and her culture and blah, blah, So we were there for like a week or 10 days with like one show. She just wanted us to experience life there. Yeah. And so then one night, uh, she was, she said like, okay, I'm going out and you know, this is where I'm going. And just like the crew was notified. Yeah. And the next thing, you know, we're all like wandering down the street. It's like, it was just like out of a movie. It was such a beautiful evening. The temperature was just right. It was just so fun. Walking around, laughing, drinking, dancing in the streets. And Re pulls up in this like busted ass, no doors Jeep. Just like, and she is as beautiful as you can possibly imagine. Yeah. And she's just like in shorts and a, like a, I don't know, bikini top or whatever. Sure. But just like no makeup, Hera. And she's just buying food for everybody. Wow. Like we're just hanging out oh, cool. and dancing yeah. in the streets and just... It was such a beautiful experience and the people, no one cared who she was.
0: Oh, I wondered about that. Yeah. Nope. Nobody cared.
1: I mean, they know. Sure. But they're just like, you know, to them, it's just like, you know, the girl who's from here. Mm -hmm. And it was just so sweet and so endearing. And uh, I don't know. It was just like this really, really magical night. And then further on in the trip, I went on this. uh, It was the one time I've been on a catamaran that I didn't get sick. And we went snorkeling and I got headbutted by a sea turtle. I don't know if it was like, I don't know a lot about sea turtles, but there was a couple of them. Yeah. And I don't know if I like got between like a mama and a baby or if it was like a a pregnant turtle mama or like, I don't know, there was something, yes. but it fucking head butted me. I was like, what just happened? It was the strangest <laughs> sensation. Uh, but it's a really beautiful place. I don't feel like it gets a ton of um, travel press. I don't yeah. think it's like on anybody's like, oh, you know where you have to go. But it is incredible. And because Cruel. it's not overrun with, I mean, yes, there's a lot of tourism, but yeah. it's not like Turks and Caicos or whatever. It—it It is, I highly, highly recommend it. That's awesome. That's all I've got.
0: I love, that's a good one. It's a good one. I was that is funny, like such a peacefully, uh, or a creature with such a peaceful um, reputation. attacking. That, that, that's like being a um, uh, bitch slapped by a koala bear or something. <laughs> like just backhanded.
1: Are koala bears supposed to be really nice?
0: Yeah, I think so. They yeah. have those- I, you know what? I don't know if they, I think so. I do I mean, they have claws. The, their reputation is like they're little teddy bears. They're so cute. But I haven't like really looked into it.
1: Remember when we adopted a koala bear from Monroe?
0: Oh, yes. I
1: forgot adopted. about that. Adopted?
0: Yeah. Like we donated money. Sammy? Uh-huh. Donated money to some cost to save koala bears um, because of fires in Australia years ago. That's right.
1: Monroe was, a, I don't know, she
0: 10? Was, yep. She was she the koala was bears. She was
1: devastated. She was uh-huh. devastated. And her understanding was like that it was like her koala bear. I was like, oh. <laughs> I mean, I guess technically we could go to Australia and like see a koala bear, and they could tell us that it's the one. But I don't think it's like the one. Yeah, I think you yeah. got like some sort of certificate in the mail. God, it's so funny. There's it- no
2: ko- koala bears actually kill more people each year than elephants.
0: What? No, they don't. Not a slant. I was trying to think of like, is there a disease angle here or something? Yeah, funny. It's the claws. The claws. The claws. I know. Oh my gosh, getting clawed to death by little fists of fury. <laughs> <laughs> what a weird what a weird death that would be
1: but wait what it what animal is it that is like not hippopotamuses isn't there some other like dry land dwelling australian animal that's surprisingly Tether. kangaroos are they surprisingly oh, aggressive
0: uh they can, they'll punch you they like i think they actually will punch you yeah because i th- kick you
1: because they're because the joeys, like they're just, yeah. just protecting their babies yeah, I, think, I think
0: yeah kick actually more than punch but yeah like uh, there's yeah I can, we could go into a whole weird wormhole that will distract from the horror Funny. about um old exhibition matches of like boxy matches between people and Oh, I, I
1: wasn't trying to get into that. I just was trying to remember yeah. like the, I was like, is there some like cute animal that's like, it'll kill you. Maybe it's pandas? Mm, I don't know. I don't know. All right. Well, let's dive into Let's get back to the whore. Let's okay. do it. Who's hanging out with you
0: this week? Are um, oh, you
1: still going black and red?
0: Mm-hmm. Black I like the combo right and now.
1: And I got a lot of emails about black and yellow. Okay. People are upset that you don't know that song and also irritated that I put it in their head. So you're welcome <laughs> for being black Doing and yellowed. Yeah. You're welcome. Dear Lindsay and Dan, my name is Keanu and I am a scared to death fan all the way from Ireland. The story I have for you spans over the last 10 years of my life. Maybe it will scare you more than it scares me as I am a true creeper. It's important to note that I'm not a religious person and I believe that the I- and I believe in the idea that everything is energy. It cannot be destroyed, only changed or moved. And because of this, I believe the world is full of both positive and negative energy. From this, I think we get such things as negative energy from people becoming bad spirits and vice versa. With this knowledge, let's begin. Time now for the tale of the corner. Mm -hmm. God, I've always wanted to say that. (laughs) So cute. (laughs) When I was nine years old, my grandfather passed away from a heart attack on the 25th of October, 2005. Being his favorite, I was absolutely devastated. I spent every weekend with my granddad going to football games, fixing stuff in his shed, and cutting his grass while listening to The Beatles. After a couple of months of grieving, I went back to being a happy-go-lucky child. Fast forward 10 years, 19-year-old me, sitting exams to get into university. My dad knocked on my door. Hey, son, we were cleaning out some of your granny's house, and we found a leather jacket. It belonged to your granddad. Do you want to have it? Obviously, I wanted it. Not that I could wear it, as my grandfather was a well-put-together man, and me, at this stage, was not. I just wanted to have something of his in my possession. Sentimentally, you know. I took it and I hung it up on my dresser and thought nothing of it. But that's when I started to get the feeling. I would go to bed at night and wake up feeling like someone was watching me from the corner of my room. I would turn and stare at the corner and sense something or someone get up, turn on the lights and boom, nothing would be there. I would get back into bed and turn my back to it and try to get sleep even though I still had that feeling. This happened most nights for about three months. I finally told my dad, but he was dismissive of the whole thing. He said I was acting stupid. My mom said, well, it might be your granddad watching over you during your exams. I didn't really believe it, but I liked the idea of him being with me in some way, even if it was just to get me through my exams. This feeling occurred regularly for the next year or so. I became so used to it that I didn't really notice it anymore. But one night I was sleeping and I woke up to that feeling from the corner. I did the usual turnaround, but this time I didn't only feel something looking at me. I saw it. In the corner of my room, beside the dresser, was a darker than dark mass. It didn't grow and it didn't move. It was just there. I stared for a while, thinking my eyes were playing tricks. I turned on the light and then I went back to bed. I woke up the next day and felt fine. I thought, yeah, yeah, you were definitely caught in a dream and thought nothing of it. I passed my exams and got into university. I was so excited to gain a bit more independence and move out of that room. I was in university a couple of months before I was home for a weekend. I went to bed that night and had a really vivid dream. In my dream, I was coming home from work from the bar and my brother was outside, pointing at my room saying, there's someone in your room, bro. I looked up at my window and saw a shadow moving past. Then my mum proceeded to come outside and do the same thing. I went up to my room and opened the door. Nothing, but a disgusting feeling sank into my stomach alongside a sense of fear And in my dream, I said, come on, you bastard, let's fucking go. And the sound that came from the corner of my room was haunting. The best way I can describe it is a long, dull, ooh kind of noise, like something that monks do at mass, but it was really, really low. It scared the crap out of me, and I jumped awake, but the noise didn't stop. I turned my head to the corner of my room, and I saw that black mass, darker than the night, looking at me. I was maybe 20 or 21 at this point, but I felt that genuine childhood, I'm gonna die kind of fear. I switched on the lights and stared at the corner and just like that, the noise in my head stopped and the feeling began to subside. I would see this mass again, but this time not in my corner. I'd begun seeing my current girlfriend of six years and I was staying at her house. I woke up in the middle of the night to that horrible gut feeling. I looked around the room to the corners and I saw nothing. But when I looked at the foot of the bed, there it was. But it wasn't a mass. It was a dark shape, like a man, without any features. I was too scared to get out of bed, so I decided to just go back to sleep. But then something caught my eye. It wasn't looking at me. It was staring at my girlfriend, sleeping beside me. I cuddled I cuddled up close to her and told it to fuck off. I went back to sleep and never said anything to her. My girlfriend hates horror movies. Can't even sleep if she sees a horror trailer, let alone the whole thing. I leave this memory in my mind until one day I'm at my girlfriend's university flat. We're chatting about life and energy, and I bring up my views of negative energy becoming negative spirits or shadow people and so on, and she stops talking. She tells me that a week or two before she saw a shadow look out from behind her dresser in the corner of her room, and then it slumped back behind the dresser in the middle of the night. Now I'm 26 and I still get the occasional feeling from my corner, but nothing as severe as those encounters. I currently live in the same room now as I am saving for my masters and travel. Last week, my friend Tim stayed over for a few drinks and he slept beside me in my bed. I got up at 7am to go to work for a few hours. When I came back, everything seemed fine. I asked him how he'd slept, and he told me that he thinks he might have had a sleep paralysis incident because he'd been unable to move and only could stare at some dark mass in the corner of my room. Final note, I recently went to my girlfriend's grandfather's grave to pay respects to a man I would never get to meet. I read the tombstone, died 25th October 2005, the exact same date as my grandfather. Before I could say anything, she said, yep, I was granddad's favorite. Keep up the show. I absolutely love the witty, humorous, and sometimes sexual banter between the two of you. (laughs) Love your spooky friend from the land of Guinness,
0: Keanu. Thanks, Keanu. Um, Before I say anything about the horror, I don't know if I told you this or not. This won't surprise you, but uh, did you know that for years, you know, Keanu Reeves? Yeah. I thought his name was pronounced Canoe. (laughs) (laughs) I called him Canoe Reeves probably until I was like 25. Like, finally, somebody corrected me, and they're like, What? I was, like, I was like, canoe reefs. And they're like, Keanu? And I was like, oh, that's how you say it? <laughs> I've been saying canoe for so long. Um, <laughs> I, just, I don't have good instincts when it comes to pronunciation. I'm dead.
1: I'm dead. Do you know how to spell the word canoe?
0: Yes, C A N O E. And I know his name is like K E A N U something. U E U. Just U. But for some reason, just the way I, I just like Dude, I'm sorry. Is canoe. you? Yeah. Oh,
1: God, I'm crying. I don't, I don't know. Is U-E a letter now? I don't know. You just said that. It's like K-E-A-N-U-E.
0: Oh, U. Maybe an E after U. Yeah. Okay. yeah I, don't, I don't know why. I don't know why. But I, This yeah. is
1: like your dad genuinely thinking it's jalapeno. Jalapeno. Instead of jalapeno. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I got it you, honestly. I inherited this stuff.
1: You two are a pair. Mm-hmm. Canoe god i love you so much it is so good that you are handsome and smart oh in so many other ways because left to just figure out names like keanu oh if, if i was
0: like uh okay if like the world ended oh my god and somehow i'm from like just the same as me but yeah. i'm from like a similar planet and then i came up but different a similar planet. yeah but i saw i was so like still like a human but i come over to earth and all i have is books If so for some reason there's nothing. I can't hear anything. There's no. Oh, there's no that's videos. it. It's over. And and I have to like explain to other people how to speak our language. It would be so off of like how it's actually said. I'd be so far off.
1: And there'd be a lot of hard rolling R's. That is your, Dan's default. Uh. It is the funniest thing when like uh, we're in a foreign country. Oh, that's different. That's and a lot, yeah. it's a lot of like R-r-r-r-r. I, I, I imagine that. you doing that to, to other myself. people, trying to like explain to them like that's a color like. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I love you, you <laughs> ding dong.
0: <laughs> but this story, I I had never heard. Tell me
1: more canoe. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I never heard that uh, I can recall of like a like a humming, like a monk chanting, om. yeah, om, like coming from a, a dark entity in in the room.
1: Haunted monks would be terrifying.
0: I have there have been stories of like uh, uh, apparitions of haunted monks for sure, like the hoods,
1: yeah, and then like just the dark
0: mon- darkness inside,
1: yeah, and just like a monastery Mm-hmm. Yeah, haunted monastery. Yeah, that'd be oof. That'd be a lot to take in. Yeah. Um. Okay. So in this story, I love the detail at the very end where we find out that both his grandfather and his grandfather and her grandfather died on the exact same day before mm-hmm. they even knew one another. Mm-hmm. That's and, weird. Well, yeah, and it's so it's like I mean, yes, it's like spooky that there's something, but I have to wonder if what he's seeing and what and what she saw is both just their grandfathers.
0: Why are the grandpa showing up in that corner?
1: I don't know well the corner at her room a corner in his room I don't know they're just like watching over
0: mm-hmm. yeah yeah maybe maybe then, then the grandpa I guess also like a uh, sleep paralysis is friend oh, that could have been coincidence oh, too. it could have
1: been coincidence but it also like maybe maybe the grandfather didn't like someone else being there that wasn't his grandson
0: I don't know mm-hmm.
1: just kind of like get out buddy it's yeah, so not super spooky but yeah. just a strange occurrence
0: yeah yeah definitely thank you canoe thanks canoe <laughs> <laughs>
1: I do, Keanu. I, what I would like from you is I would like an email just telling me like, is that something that happens? So you're in Ireland. Americans come to visit. Is that a common mistake no. with your name? Now, I, I'm, I'm asking. You don't know.
0: You and, he, and he's a lot. He's a lot younger than me. I, I, because of Keanu use Keanu Reeves's fame, mm-hmm. I bet like people nail his name for the most part.
1: How wrong do you think people got Sinead O'Connor's name? Because it's not spelled how you would I think. Probably, if
0: I if I was if it was up to me if I was like in the yes. king of the land I'd be like Saneed. Yes. It would be yeah.
1: God rest her soul. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh man, but yeah, like n- and names are also. I'll give you a little bit of a pass. Names are inherently
0: difficult. Just English in general, because of like it's been through so many countries. Mm-hmm. It's like with all the various accents and regional dialects, and mm-hmm. it's like I who the hell knows? Yeah. How to say half of it.
1: And then I guess when you grow up in the middle of nowhere, not exposed, and I mean this kindly. Yeah. Like you're not exposed to a lot of no. other accents.
0: And I was a reader more than a watcher. So it's like I would read like National Geographic or whatever. I'd read all these things. Yeah. As opposed to like hearing it. I wasn't mm-hmm. watching like docs and stuff. We didn't really have like uh, many TV channels and things for a long time. Yeah. I'm going to go ahead and speak up for every Harry Potter fan. Yeah. When they were reading the series, who thought Hermione's name was Hermione.
1: Hermione. <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: I don't remember what I thought.
1: I'm going to get a lot of hate for this. Actually, no, I've gotten some supportive
0: emails. So you don't like Harry Potter. You don't like the Lord. You just don't like fantasy that genre. You don't like like D D type stuff.
1: It just. I don't even know if that's true. I you don't think, like
0: Lord of the Rings. You don't like Tolkien?
1: I don't know what Tolkien is.
0: J oh my god J R O Tolkien like the guy who uh, wrote Lord of the Rings. I know. Yeah,
1: I know. <laughs> I was just being sarcastic. Um Th- those are like, really, I just think like the two like modern fantasy, that, like everybody knows. Everybody yeah. knows Harry Potter. Everybody knows Lord of the Rings. Those are the biggest ones. Here's the thing. When everybody loves something, I genuinely am like, get the fuck out of here. Why? Because it's just like, so I don't want it shoved down my throat. You mm. don't like being shoved down your throat? Neither do I. I'm the same just like, ah.
0: Yeah, but that kind of stuff, so, so I, I love wait, hold- it- go ahead
1: so i think like i just like went in with the energy of like this better be the best fucking thing i've ever fucking seen because every person around me is talking about it this better blow my mind and when in 20 minutes in i'm literally falling asleep on multiple occasions of trying to watch it i mean i probably shouldn't have got like drank first but like you know
0: i mean you know i think i could watch it now and maybe art is subjective obviously media subjective but you are unequivocally wrong no, your, your opinion's wrong.
1: Your opinion's wrong.
0: <laughs> but but it's no, amazing.
1: I I think that if I tried to watch it now from like a different perspective mm-hmm. and not having it be like, oh my god, you have to watch this. Yeah, I I bet I would like it more.
0: Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I I just don't think from what I just uh, over the years watching things, uh, don't ever do that again. Uh, watching things <laughs> with you, I just don't think that that is your thing though in general. Like what
1: what fantasy things have we ever watched?
0: Sci-fi fantasy like that. You're just not drawn to that kind of. I don't stuff. mind it. Yeah, but that's different than being like pumped for it. Like I love that stuff. Take me to another, pl- another planet. Show me like other uh races of extraterrestrial creatures. You know, let's you know, get let's get weird.
1: You know what I will do? I'll uh, read you another story. Okay. We've gone way off the rails. Okay. Hello everyone. It's Sophie Evans, producer, finder of <laughs> stories, right. and dedicated peeper. Some of you may have heard my name in the credits. If you have no idea who I am, I've been working for Time Suck for going on six years and working on Scared to death pretty much since the beginning. Yeah. One of the greatest surprises of my life has been working on Scared to Death since I've pretty much been the scarediest cat ever since I was a baby. Seriously, when I saw Ari Aster's Midsummer in Theaters in Coeur when I was interning in 2019, the theater was empty and I was so scared somebody was going to sneak up behind me that I spent the entire movie standing with my back up against a wall. <laughs> and I can envision Sophie doing this. Oh, uh, that's funny. Yep, I am that kind of peeper. I'm also the kind of people that for a long time believed only in scary stories insofar that they had the ability to get my heart rate to skyrocket. At least, I was pretty sure I was a stone-cold skeptic. The tightness in my chest when I heard the house creak late at night, or the fact that I once ran out of the house and in, into the pouring rain practically hyperventilating when the power abruptly cut off maybe says otherwise. But the story I'm writing about today has shaken that belief at its very core. As I go over the events that happened that night, there is simply no explanation that makes sense. And while nothing happened, nobody was attacked or hurt or harmed, or even saw what seemed to be any kind of entity, if what I think happened happened, it opens up the possibility that nothing in this world is what we think it is. This story takes place almost two two years ago in the fall of 2021. Though we're in a happily committed relationship now, my partner Noah and I had only been dating for two months at that point, and we were still full of early relationship jitters. One weekend, we decided to go to a comedy show in northern New Jersey. You'd think that since I was in school in central southern New Jersey, and he was living in New York, that it'd be relatively easy to meet in the middle. Not true. Since I had the car... And There was no public transportation to that town. He had to take the train to Princeton to get me And then we ran to my car after class to make the hour and a half drive to the show The fact that the drive was an hour and a half long will be really important later Anyway, we mercifully got to the show on time had a blast and then had to make the drive back to campus We were driving down a four-lane highway with a divider in the middle when noah suddenly slammed on the brakes Up ahead, a car had spun out and crashed into the divider, crumpling the front and snapping one of the axles. Without hesitating, Noah then flung himself out the driver's seat and ran down the highway to help pull the driver out of the car while I sat in disbelief, thinking that both of them would eminently be hit by another car. I mean, who runs out of a car on the highway in the middle of the night to help someone they don't know at all? Noah. That's who. He pulled the driver, who seemed very drunk, out of the car and to the grass beside the highway. Luckily, an off-duty police officer happened to be going the opposite way, saw us, and turned around. Noah gave a statement, and then we were free to go. By that time, it was about two in the morning. The problem was that the highway, which was the most direct route to campus, was now completely blocked by the crashed car. We would either have waited for someone to come tow the car or try our chances on a different route. Since it was so late, I pulled up navigation on my phone and found an alternate path. We figured that even if it took a lot, a while, we'd rather be on the way home than stuck on the highway for who knows how long. The phone said it would take about an hour and a half to get back, same as if we'd taken the highway. The route my phone showed cut through what seemed to be a large swath of farmlands and forest. When we got on it, we realized that it was one of those country roads that we sometimes drove on during the day, two lanes without a divider winding through dense trees. During the day, they could be plenty dangerous, since cars often appeared around the bends without warning. During the night, they were even scarier. There weren't any streetlights. Noah put the car's brights on, and we drove slowly, unable to see more than a few feet ahead of us. The only other light source was the moon, which flickered in and out of view behind the tops of shaggy black trees. The road was completely deserted, which makes sense as it was two in the morning. But Noah, ever the cautious driver, even though he had literally run out of the car onto the highway mere moments ago, still stopped at the infrequent stop signs, used turn signals, and we (laughs) plodded along at approximately 30 miles an hour, which felt too fast even still for that narrow road. I was just dozing off when we came to a stop sign in front of a fork in the road. We would be taking the left fork. Nobody was behind us. Nobody ahead of us. Noah slowed down to a stop and pressed the gas to turn and go. And then suddenly, out of nowhere, the car flooded with light. We heard a roar and the the ground shaking with a shout. Noah wrenched the wheel to the side just in time because a massive school bus just shot past us. It nearly ran us off the road. We glimpsed the bus just in time to see its darkened windows as it disappeared around the left turn we were trying to make. Holy shit, I said. Who the fuck was that? (laughs) Fucking asshole, Noah said, pressing the gas. We both wanted to see who this chode was who had almost killed us, especially if they were driving fucking children around. But when we went around the same bend, the road was empty. The bus was gone. We scanned the landscape looking for a turnoff, but there simply wasn't one. The road up ahead was visible for at least a mile, so there was no way the bus had been going fast enough to leave us in the dust. Nor was there any indication that the bus had done some late night off-roading. No tracks in the woods or a place where the brush had been mowed down. It was just gone. Uneasily, Noah and I looked at each other. Maybe it was kids coming back from like a school thing, I suggested. Uh, An out-of-state game or, you know, something like that. Or criminals who figured out that the perfect cover would be a school bus, Noah said, conjuring images of a Walter White-style roving meth lab. Both of us knew that that didn't account for how the bus had disappeared. Children and criminals don't vanish like that. There was one thing we did know, which was that we had to get the fuck out of the woods. Stat. Still the careful driver, Noah went ahead at the speed limit. We arrived back at campus, and inexplicably, the clock showed that just 20 minutes had passed between when we'd been talking to the cops and parking back at my dorm. How is that possible? The phone had said it was going to take an hour and a half. Sure, it could be off by like 10 or 20 minutes, but by more than an hour? That night, we lay in bed, both of us unable to sleep. Maybe the ghost bus did hit us, I whispered, and all (laughs) this is some post-death hallucination and us not knowing we're dead yet. Maybe our real bodies are out there in the woods waiting to be discovered. This wasn't a particularly comforting thought, nor was it true. I knew that. We were alive, and we were alive as the next morning's brunch with our college friends was confirmed. But some part of it did ring true. Maybe I thought we had come to some kind of crossroads, some place where different timelines converged, where something from a different dimension collided into us, scrambling the the dimension's progression of time. Maybe we were supposed to be hit, but just barely made it out. In any case, I'm glad we did make it out. Life has gotten a lot better for us two Mm -hmm. young adults who scrambled to spend time together amid a cross-country move and a demanding senior year. Whichever timeline we're in, I think it's the right one. But we're not going back to rural New Jersey anytime soon. For all we know, the ghost bus may still be
0: out there. That's a cool story.
1: Uh-huh. It's weird. It's so weird.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that is so weird. Just the combination of, I mean, obviously, like, the ghost bus interaction. And then, you know, usually, like, with the, okay, like, like in a UFO extraterrestrial possible situation, that whole, like, um, missing time It's extra like, 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 like it was supposed to take an hour and a half. Now it's two hours and you don't know what happened to the missing half hour. This is inverted, which I can't think of hearing before.
1: That's true.
0: That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like you went through some wormhole or something. Like, I don't even know what what would explain that. And and then just forget about the time, even like the time. Let's say like, okay, I don't know. Let's say they somehow both misread the time or it was daylight saving. I don't know. Some crazy thing. uh, If you could account for that. The, the bus thing with that mile distance, like where you, you know, it's like you wouldn't, it wouldn't just vanish. Mm-hmm. Ah, yeah. That's uh and, and there have been plenty of reports. That's a, a fairly common sighting in the, you know, lore of ghosts of phantom vehicles.
1: Phantom vehicles. Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I, and I'm glad Strange. that the two of them were there. Cause that also like, you know, now you have somebody to say like, yeah no I saw that happen too. It's not yeah. just my imagination. It wasn't like Sophie or Noah by themselves driving home. Tired, shooken up from the car accident that yeah. they witnessed. Like, there's just, I don't know.
0: I like that alternate timeline thing. I mean, you can just make yourself go crazy with this, like kind of like multiverse stuff mm-hmm. or simulation theory stuff. But where, you know, one in one world, in one reality, they do both die. They get hit by a real bus and that's yeah. it. And then, and then this is like this alternate thing that somehow breaks off of that and they continue on as if it was a ghost. And uh, I don't know. You're, you're like like the, There's so many versions of us out there living so many alternate realities.
1: Yeah, like reverberations of ourselves. Yeah. Like where are we at in that? Yep.
0: There's there's one where you're still in Cleveland. There's one where you're still in LA. There's one where you're like
1: I believe it too. Yeah. I do. I do to some degree believe that because it's like sometimes you know, like people say that that's like the deja vu feeling sometimes mm-hmm. or whatever or just like a strong sense of like I've been here before or I should be here or these like really 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 vivid feelings that I'll have when I'm somewhere. And like, without any effort from myself consciously, an entire timeline develops in my head. (laughs) And I'm like, like, we could be like visiting my family in Cleveland and I could walk into a market that I haven't been in in 10 years. And all of a sudden, it's just, I'm my entire being is flooded with this like other life that I could have lived. And it it comes in a flash. It's like maybe 10 to 15 seconds, but I'm not, Actively thinking like, God, I wonder what it would have been like if I would have stayed here. It's not a conscious yeah. choice. It just comes over me and then it passes. It's so bizarre. Yeah. Does that happen to you?
0: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I've had yeah. that too.
1: Yeah. I think about that like in terms of like multiverse sort of stuff.
0: Mm-hmm. Weird. Who knows what the true nature of all of this is?
1: <sighs> We're never going to find out.
0: Mm-mm. Mm-mm. It'd be fun to speculate about endlessly.
1: Mm-hmm. True. True.
0: <laughs> That's true. That's true too. Good uh, Good stories.
1: Yeah, hey, it was a fun, it's a kind of different episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah, 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 yeah. Do you want to do some Annabelle's or should I go first? I can go first. Okay, have at it, bro.
0: I want to thank the following Annabelle's for supporting us on Patreon. Regina Northrup, Joshua Forkner, Jacqueline, Shane J. Tripp, Josh Carter, uh, Jessa Wegand, uh Carol Vargas, Leslie Durham, Ashley with an IE, <laughs> uh, Jimmy Brokejaw, I wonder if Brokejaw has a real last name? And Canoe Boat. Nice. <laughs>
1: I'd like to thank the following Annabelles. Melanie Velez, Allie Cat, Julie R. Lowell Parchman, Madison Yardley, Sheridan Broderick. That is a formidable name. <laughs> Dylan Adams, Nash Wayland, Jarrett, Christina Trowell, and Tim Walrith. Nice. And then I have a few spoopy shout outs. Okay. To Ashley from Devon, happy birthday. Today is better than all of my yesterdays. Aw. I know. To Tristan from mom, happy belated birthday. So happy to have you home lately. To Bug from Furfur, Fur. <laughs> Sorry you're stuck with me as your best friend, but you are the bestest friend a sister could have. Thanks for always being there for me. I love you. To Carlos from Michelle. Oh, this is so sweet. I feel you around me. I love you and I miss you. Michelle uh, lost her husband, Carlos, about a year ago. And she just said that she feels him all the time and that like he was a prankster and a jokester and loved Mm -hmm. to play games in life. And sometimes he's still like, we're like, knock her cane over or like do these little things that she is certain is him. Love that. His reverberations. And then also to Lucy Lou from Uncle B, He's asking that all of us send prayers, good vibes, crystals, and all of the things to baby Lucy. She's just about a year old, and she's currently in the Cincinnati Children's Hospital undergoing a slew of tests, and she needs all the love that we can send her way.
0: Oh, yeah. I hope those results come back the most positive they can be. Yeah. And now, welcome to Don't Be Scared to Ask for Help. Big thanks to BetterHelp for partnering with us on this special segment. We are going to share some advice given to us by Courtney Cope. Licensed Marriage Family Therapist and Principal Clinical Operations Manager at BetterHelp, and David Yadish, Licensed Therapist and Senior Clinical Operations Manager at BetterHelp. We chatted with both Courtney and David at great length to ensure our advice is in line with healthy practices for better mental health.
1: Let's get into it. First question, how do you handle the stress of your child being away at college? Woo-wee, we're feeling Mm -hmm. that. It's such an exciting time for you both. You want to be cautious to not have your emotions dictate this experience for your child. If you're feeling anxious and stressed, you don't want to pass that on to them. Try to find some peers who are also going through this so that you can normalize how you feel because I promise you, you are not the only parent who's ever felt this way, especially if you have friends with older kids who've already done this. Set some ways to stay in touch with them and share new things with them. Can you create a routine that will work for both of you to connect without being overbearing? For us, we already have a family text thread that we share music in. I would suggest finding some commonality. Can you text about movies or TV shows or books or Mm -hmm. hikes you're going on? We also set some guidelines with our oldest as he's about to go off to college. We talked to him about understanding his need for independence while also balancing his commitment to his family. So for us, we told him that if we text him, he must reply to us within 24 hours simply out of respect for us. We also shared with him that he's not allowed to turn off his find my feature with the understanding that we won't be tracking him daily. We just want to know he's safe. And if he were not to reply to us within 24 hours, that would help us know where he was at. Mm -hmm. We know it's tricky to balance a new life of independence. We suspect the first few months will have a lot of missteps on both ends and that's okay. We think that if you are honest with your child about your expectations and ask them what their expectations are, you can become collaborators and find a system of communication that will work for both of you. It's normal to cycle through emotions of fear, concern, excitement, joy, and so on. This is an accomplishment for both of you, so celebrate it. Give them the space to grow. They can then process things on their own, revisit your own interests, and pour back into yourself.
0: Great job, Lindsay. Now on to the next question, how to deal with traumatic divorce, being separated from kids and ex speaking ill of me. Well, even when things are amicable with divorce, there is still so much to process. So first of all, make sure you are seeking help and support to manage all of these new divorce related feelings. And be sure if you choose to seek the support of friends and family that you choose your support wisely. It's easy to choose people who will side with us. If you aren't going to seek therapy, you want to make sure that you're not picking support from people who are going to fuel your flames. Be careful not to put yourself in some echo chamber full of angry, bitter, divorced people. There was a time and place to vent, of course, but just recognize it can be easy to fall into a negative pattern. Remember, you are only as good as the company you keep, and right now, you need especially good company. Try to find ways to connect with things that make you happy and feel good, that distract you from the mess of things. It can be easy to think that what your ex is saying about you is true, even if you know it's not. Be sure to have bright spots in your life that will help you remain grounded in your truth. Even if you messed up, even if your ex is saying ugly truths about you, these mistakes you may have made do not have to define who you are going forward. If your child is asking you why your former partner is saying specific things about you, consider replying with, I don't know why mom or dad is saying that about me. And leave it at that. Keeping the kids out of the middle is important and not getting defensive in the face of your child is even more important. Your child is going to feel torn between two people they love. It's only natural. It's a complicated and confusing time for everyone. When possible, even when not amicable, can you come together to support and love your child even if you can't personally get along? If you are going to share sensitive information with the kid or kids in order to defend yourself, you of course can share it with them honestly, but make sure it's on their level. If you can say things with kindness and thoughtfulness, it can be helpful in diffusing the situation. At the end of the day, no matter what the truth is, always remember that the person you are speaking about is still the child's mom or dad. We don't want to be the reason that our children have an issue with their other parent.
1: Thanks for sharing that with us, Dan. That was great. A big thank you to our sponsor, BetterHelp, and to Courtney Cope, Principal Clinical Operations Manager at BetterHelp, and David Yadish, Senior Clinical Operations Manager at BetterHelp. Courtney Cope and David Yadish's input is general psychological information based on research and clinical experience. It's intended to be general and informational in nature. It does not represent or indicate an established clinical or professional relationship with those inquiring for guidance. Their feedback is in response to a written question, and therefore, there are likely unknown considerations given the limited context. Also, just because you might hear something on the show that sounds similar to what you're experiencing, beware of self-diagnosis. Diagnosis is not required to find relief, and you'll want to find a qualified professional to assess and explore diagnoses if that's important to you. If you or your partner are in crisis and uncertain of whether you can maintain safety, reach out for support. Crisis hotlines, local authorities have a safety plan. That can be done with a therapist too.
0: Okay, that is our show uh, thank you for continuing to send in your personal tales of terror to my story at scared You can email us for everything else. Info at scared Thank you to Tyler C producing directing today, Zach Cohen for custom soundbed creation, Heather Rylander for organizing the my story emails and book editor, Drew Atana polishing and preparing listener stories now for book number five. Woohoo. Thank you to producer Olivia Lee for finding both of my tales today. Subscribe to Bad Magic Productions on YouTube if you want to watch in addition to listening. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Scared to Death Podcast for pictures of the shows and more. And you can find us on TikTok, same handle. Um, We have a private Facebook group, Creeps and Peepers, with so many horror-loving members who want to meet you. And if you don't want to hear ads and you do want monthly bonus episodes, check out our Patreon and get the entire catalog ad-free. Enjoy your nightmares, Creeps and Peepers. Hope you were scared to death. Bye. (laughs) Bye.
1: Seriously, when I saw Ari Aster's Midsummer in Theaters in Coeur when I was interning in 2019, the theater was empty and I was so scared somebody was going to sneak up behind me that I spent the entire movie standing with my back up against a wall. <laughs> and I can envision Sophie doing this. Oh, uh, that's funny. Yep. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories